All right, open your Bibles to Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 1, starting in verse 35. I talked this morning about gifts that help you celebrate Christmas. One of, really, the glories of the Internet is that, men, we can now not only find articles about the best gifts to give our significant other, but we can even buy them on the Internet. This year I did some research to see which gifts men actually buy. And I figured out, just through talking with people and and doing a little research, there are about five gifts that men continue to give every year, even though there's a long lineage of carnage that tells them it's unwise to. Let's let's look at these. All right, let's have some fun. We're going to look at these in descending order. First, vacuums and cookbooks. All right, now... What this, as a man, communicates to a significant other is, I validate your role to do work around our house. (laughs) Right? And and if you're not yet married, what this says is, here's what I envision our future to be. Right? So you're you're communicating one of these two things with this gift. Now, if you're going to tread in these waters, men, uh, you know, I've been married 10 years. It's not incredibly long, but for our church, it's pretty long. If you're going to tread in these waters, tread lightly. All right, vacuums, cookbooks are kind of a constant uh, lack of wisdom. Knives, for instance, are a possibility if they're like real high end. But you may not want to actually be in the room when she opens the knives. Because, you know, they're knives. So I just, <laughs> just that. Let's go to the next one. Number four, uh, Snuggies. All right, now, the Snuggie, thankfully the Snuggie is starting to trend out in our society but I just encourage you in general, steer away from large, shapeless pieces of cloth, men. <laughs> All right? Uh, it communicates, when I think of you, I think of staying comfortable, sitting on the couch, and assuming the shape of grimace. Uh, number three, the small appliance from a non-appliance store. Y- you'll find in this category the blender, the generic blender, or the George Foreman grill. All right, uh, what this communicates is this. I was walking around TJ Maxx or near the clearance bend at Foster's and was 95% sure you didn't have this gift, but only 50% sure you needed it. (laughs) So I saw it, I picked it up. All right, number two, the gift card to anywhere other than the spa. All right, now a gift card to a spa is okay, right? That's a good thing. But $25 to Chili's, or to Cafe Del Sol, not so much. All right, now it's okay as a stocking stuffer, I have found, but as a gift, it says, I still can't listen well enough to know even your most basic needs. All right, so just get something for yourself. All right. All right, and the number one thing, the gym membership. All right. Now, I've actually seen this happen. I have not experienced this myself. Praise God Almighty. But there should be a sign up at local gyms in December to warn men that this is not the time to buy or purchase something for your wife. In fact, it's never the time. But if this church was larger, I would consider even starting a, a winter ministry team that would camp outside you know, gym membership kiosks just to preach about the perils of this choice. Don't do it. I mean, I don't even want to communicate what this communicates. All right, I didn't even want to go there. It's just, yeah. All right, so just stay away. Now, by the way, one of, one of the worst 
just on a personal note, one of the worst gift gone bad situations I witnessed was as a young child. Uh, my grandfather and uh, grandmother were visiting, and my grandfather, a really funny guy. Uh, and so when he was asked by my sister what my father was going to get for Christmas, you know, he whispered to my sister in a way that you know, he didn't want to get in trouble with his wife. He said, look, you know he's getting switches or coal for Christmas. Right? And that raspy grandfather. My sister was very little at this time, and this concerned everyone. Of course, she was just distraught by the fact my, her, her father was going to get coals or switches on Christmas. So uh, it concerned everybody except my gentle, good-natured mother. She was most delighted at this idea of switches or coals for my father. So she colluded with my grandfather, actually went outside, got tree branches, and fashioned them into switches. And this is very unusual for my mom. She's, she's not like this. So when my father opened his stocking the next morning, there they were. All right, these switches in the stocking, and my sister grabbed the switches, ran to her room, and was heard crying and yelling at Santa. It was awful. (laughs) It's awful. My brother says she lost some of her innocence that Christmas. (laughs) Which, sadly true. Look, if these these are examples of bad gifts on Christmas, what we're going to read about this morning is not only the best but most needed gift on Christmas, and something that a young woman named Mary gives. So let's read together Luke 1, 35 through verse 56. We're going to read this story. The angel answered Mary, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. In other words, she couldn't have children until this miracle happened. For nothing will be impossible with God. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country to a town in Judah. She entered the house of Zechariah and she greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And so Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked upon the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. And holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his, with his arm. He has scattered the proud with the thoughts of their hearts. And he has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things. And the rich he has sent empty away. 
He has helped His servant Israel in remembrance of His mercy as He spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to His offspring forever. And Mary remained with Elizabeth about three months and then returned to her home. This morning we're going to talk about three things. If you have a bulletin with you, you're going to notice on the back there's four things. Uh, When I tried four things, the sermon was about an hour. So I'm going to blog about the fourth thing. If you're wondering... Uh, if you're a skeptic this morning wondering, does Christianity really make sense? I'm going to blog about that later. We're going to talk about three things this morning. Only one gift is needed. That gift won't last in isolation. And thirdly, it's a re-gift. So first, the only gift needed. Why is Mary so blessed amongst women? Right? What causes her to erupt in this song, this beautiful Magnificat that has been adored and treasured by people for centuries. Well, Elizabeth tells us. Elizabeth tells her. It's something she tells her in verse 45. Elizabeth declares, Blessed are you, Mary. Blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. Why was she blessed? Trust. She trusted In the New Testament, we read words like faith, belief, trust all the time. And you may or may not know, I know I've mentioned this before, but that's actually each of these words are an English translation of the same Greek word. Pistis is the Greek word. That in different situations, in different scenarios, in different contexts have been translated differently. Sometimes it's translated belief, sometimes trust, sometimes faith. But it's the same Greek word. I use trust. And how do we know it's trust that moves her to so lose herself in the worship of God in this song? Luke gives us the pattern. Because it's the conclusive moment in the scene with the angel Gabriel. Look at this in verse 38. The last thing we hear Mary say to this angel, this God-like creature before her, let it be, she's, remember, she's just told, he or he's just told her, you're going to have a baby, but you're a virgin, right? Last thing she says, let it be to me according to your word. In other words, she trusts what he says, declares that trust, and then the angel departs. Elizabeth hears this account from Mary and recognizes it as faith or trust. And so Luke intentionally concludes her encounter with Mary, saying in verse 45, blessed is she who believed. It is her belief that allows her to be blessed. She believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. And that affirmation of trust and belief leads her then into this song, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. With Elizabeth's help, Mary recognizes She is blessed. She's done nothing to gain favor with God, but has only trusted. It's only trusted that it's true and that He is true. You can sort of encapsulate this sermon in a nutshell this morning this way. The only gift needed to celebrate Christmas is the gift of trust. Why do I use the word trust? Well, I think this is important. The English word belief often indicates sort of this mental assent. And while faith often insinuates a sort of 
right? A leap of the will. We talk about a leap of faith. But trust combines them all. One's mind, one's emotion, one's will, one's sense of eternity. Trust. That's why Jesus tells us in Mark 12, verse 30, that a relationship with God involves one's heart, one's mind, one's strength, one's soul. Because it involves all of oneself. The entire counsel of God's Word affirms this, friends, that trust is the only thing required to celebrate the Christ of Christmas and to know the Christ of Christmas. Ephesians 2, 8-9 says this, It is by grace that you have been saved. Saved from what? Saved from death. It's by grace you have been saved. In other words, it's a free gift. You've done nothing to earn it. How do you access this grace? How do you access this forever forgiveness that God provides? By grace you've been saved through faith, through pistis, through trust. Not by works, by nothing you do so that no one can boast. Jesus himself says it. John 14, 1. He says, let not your hearts be troubled. Trust in the Lord. Trust also in me. Romans 3, 28. Romans 5, 1 through 2. Philippians 3, 9. The entire book of Galatians, I mean, affirms that this is the one thing required to know and celebrate the Christ of Christmas. What are we trusting exactly? We're trusting a person, not a procedure. In order to be rescued from death, which all of us are headed towards. Some of us not knowing what's on the other side of death's door, be rescued from that for certain and accepted by God. You must trust the God-man, Jesus Christ. Specifically that you're trusting that one, He forever forgives the big no in your heart called sin because He died the death you deserve. We all know that there's something about ourselves, our hearts that wants to do what we want to do. And we know this, especially if you have kids or you know kids, you see at an early age, they want to do things their way. Even when it comes to eating the Gerber baby food. Mm, There's this rebellion. No one teaches it to them. They just know it. There's this big no in all of our hearts from the day we were born. And we're trusting that Jesus forever forgives that. Secondly, we're trusting that Jesus is the God of the universe and your life. And both are important, right? It's not just He's the God of the universe, it's that He's God of your life. Or as we say to our kids, Jesus is the boss. You're trusting that He's the boss. And if you're here this morning and you haven't trusted your life to Jesus, it might be because you've been confused about what it means to be a Christian. As historian Arnold Toynbee once said, that most people haven't rejected Christianity, but a caricature. Seeing that Christianity is about procedures, not a person. In other words, if you're in that category, maybe you thought to know God, you had to trust in Christ plus be a good person. Or you had to believe in God, plus not hang out with certain kinds of people. Or trust in Christ, plus have all your junk together. Or maybe it's trust in Christ, plus you had to follow these unspoken, vague rules and play the part of being a good Christian. You've seen this from afar, and let me tell you, friends, that is a caricature of Christianity, not the real thing. And you also might be here this morning 
and you call yourself a Christian, saved, a believer, I want to ask you a question. Two questions. Really? And why? Really think about this. Really and why? It, it was a conversation I had a couple months ago, actually that spurred on the sermon this morning. That I had gotten to know this couple a little bit. This woman was explaining some additional details just about her background, her, her, how she accepted Jesus when she was around her father at a young age. And I stopped her and I just gently asked, you know, you, so you mentioned accepting Jesus then, but when did you really start trusting your life to Jesus? You accepted Jesus. When did you start really trusting your life to Jesus? She thought about it and said, well, really, that's just been in the last couple of years. I never trusted Jesus until the last couple of years. Well, I, from that, I, I started to ask a few more other people the same question. And I received the same response for a number of these people that, you know, well, really, I prayed a prayer, but it's really only been in the last year I've trusted Jesus, or just since the time I've started to come to sunrise, or just even in the last few months. It's for partly this reason that, you know, while we've only had two baptisms at Sunrise Community Church in the last two years, I'm convinced there's probably 25 to 30 people easily that have started to trust Jesus during the same time. I've just gone through the church roster and, and thought about the lives and seen lives transformed and people start to trust Jesus, which is the one requirement to know God and live with Him forever. And for some reason, I don't know what it is, maybe pride, I, I don't know. People just don't want to say that it's happened to them recently, that they started trusting Jesus recently. I know I run the risk here of splitting hairs when we talk about the one thing that's needed to know the living God. But I want to talk about why trusting is so specifically important. Trusting, this idea of trusting. There's two problems when it comes to this sort of Christian culture that a lot of us grew up in. And, and, and when our Sunday school teacher asks us to do something and communicate something, sometimes maybe it wasn't communicated um, with the right kind of wisdom or the right way, and I want to talk about this a little bit. There's the problem, first of all, of mental assent. I believe that Jesus died and was raised. I believe Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead. And in saying this some time ago, and, believe, you know, and, and honestly believing that, we're lulled into a false sense of security. And no one wants to think, and I understand this, that they are insecure, especially when it comes to God and eternity. But it's better to deal with the facts, or at least the possibilities now, and listen to Jesus. You think, as long as I believe Jesus died and rose from the dead, I'm okay. Where James, the brother of Jesus, warns us, even the demons of hell believe and shudder. You, know, you hear that? The enemies of God believe the things I've just described. Jesus died and rose from the dead. But we don't consider ourselves God's enemies. Because we believe mentally. That's a problem. Second problem is the problem of giving Jesus just a piece of the pie. Right? The pie chart of your life, you're going to give Jesus a little slice of it. Accepting Jesus and asking Him into one's heart. Alright? Accepted Christ at a young age or asked Jesus into one's heart at a young age. It sounds like just semantics. Like, oh, you're just talking about words and they don't really mean much. 
But what we say when we say we accepted Christ, it often communicates you've accepted Him as a part of you. Right? You welcomed Him in. You can come in, Jesus, and be a part of this. Or, I asked Jesus into my heart. Well, guess what? I've asked a lot of things into my heart. Including among them, idolatry, lust, things of this nature over the years. I've welcomed them. Asked them, come on in. There are a lot of things we let into our hearts to become part of us. Jesus is just a part of you? Is it just something, another guest you're welcoming in? I can't believe I'm even making this question up, but I'm going to. Is Jesus a VIP? Or is he the bouncer DJ club owner of your life? Right? Is he just going to come in like, oh yeah, good to have you. Or is he the all in all? I mean, is he the guy who runs the show? I wanted to see how many of you guys were out at clubs last night. Clearly none of you. Alright, but here's my point. Prayers, presentations, confirmation classes, steps to accomplish, to become a Christian, these are all procedures. Do not trust in them. This is a sincere warning I mean from the bottom of my heart and the deepest convictions of my soul. Do not trust in procedures. Because Christ will one day ask you, do you trust me? Do you trust your life to me? The only gift needed. Secondly, this is a gift that won't last in isolation. Ladies out there, raise your hand if you have sisters. Any ladies have sisters? Okay. Now, if something momentous just happened to you, or you sense that something momentous is about to happen in your life, who are you most likely to call? Right? To kind of process through it. Right? Is it going to be your man? Ladies, if you have a man, if it's the middle of the day, you're processing through something, let me just tell you right now, we men are good in some moments. Pretty much invariably, men are not good midday processors. All right? Where you can just ring us up in the middle of the day and we can just go through about a 30-minute conversation unprepared. All right? It's just that it's just, we're not very good at that. Probably not going to be your man. Is it going to be your mom? Most people have mother-daughter issues some, of some kind, or at least tensions on some subjects. Can I say that? Yes, I can. I'm going to. All right. So then there are sisters. All right, then you got sisters. Sisters are that sort of good middle ground there. For instance, when the words Cayman Islands first came out of my mouth uh, over two years ago as a potential place God may send our family, I was thinking about, we were praying about, Katie was already dialing in her pocket. I, I, she was just already, doot, doot, doot. I mean, I was like, honey, honey, let's pray together. Oh, oh, oh yeah, sure, let me just get off the phone. I'm like, what? I, I, where's your phone? I don't even, I'm, I'm on it. I'm already there. Come on. What do we see here with Mary? Right in verse 39, Mary hears this big news. I mean, life-changing, altering, miraculous, what in the world's going on kind of news. So in those days, Mary arose and went with what? Haste to visit Elizabeth, right? Speed dial, first century. What do you do? You get on a donkey, you get your spurs out, boom, boom, go, right? You know, I mean, that's all she's got. So she goes with haste to the hill country. And, and we know from verse 36, Elizabeth, she's either a sister or a cousin. <laughs> it's an amazing the way this verse concludes. Look what we're told about the time in verse, 30, uh, verse 56. Mary remained with her about three months and returned home. So, usually it's a three-hour phone call. I guess when you're traveling for like miles, 
on a donkey, you want to squeeze out every piece of encouragement you can get. Right? And, and that's what Elizabeth gives her, right? Elizabeth encourages her, affirms her about what? Her trust, her belief. Blessed are you because you have believed. You have trusted what God's going to do through you in Jesus. Nothing, friends, suffocates trust like isolation. And we take this gift and we just go home. When you start to trust, you start to share your, your life with people and things are good with your faith and all that kind of thing. And then what happens? Things go a little bit sour and more sour and we shut off. We shut out the church. We shut out the body of Christ. Some of us might object, well, do I really have to go to church and be a Christian? Do I really have to go to church to be a Christian? Let me just say very sincerely, friends, and I say this out of love, you're asking the wrong question. Now, I thought that wasn't supposed to be true. There are no wrong questions. Every once in a while there are. And this is one. Because it shows a fundamental and total misunderstanding of what it means to be a Christian. You have devalued what you have. You don't, you don't yet get grace you don't yet get what Jesus did for you on the cross. Or you wouldn't respond with have-tos. I've noticed this never, almost invariably never happens to the newer Christian who recognizes their need for the gift of trust. They know that they're helpless without it and say they do anything and everything to protect that gift, to nourish it. Because I cannot stand on my own works, on my own deeds, on my own goodness. I need trust. It's all I have to stand before God. These have-to questions, do I have to do this? Do I have to, be, do I have to go to church? They show that we don't quite get that while you were still his enemy, Christ freely died for you. You get that? People don't do that. But Jesus did. In Jesus Christ, nothing is a have-to. It's all get-to. Because an entire life has been handed back to you as a gift. There are no have-tos. There's only get-tos. Even with the hard things. How do we apply this kind of thing to our lives? Hey, take breaks from work. Take breaks from hobbies. Take breaks from your phone. Don't take breaks from church. Protect and nourish the gift of trust that God's given you. Don't, Don't take your gift and go home. Finally, trust. It's a re-gift. You know what a re-gift is, right? Or, or a gift, sorry, you're not crazy about. You re-wrap it, or God willing, it was in, a, uh, it was in a, one of those Christmas bags. You just slip it back in, and you hand it to someone else. You re-give it. Some of the top re-gifts usually come from the genre, two genres. One, the uh, extremities, coverings, anything for your head, feet, or hands. So like those crazy Christmas socks or the socks with like the, you know, the, the stick them on the bottom so you don't slide, great re-gifts. Or isotoner gloves, famous re-gifts. You just, oh, oh sure, take them. Or, or I often find, too, car gadgets. All right, anything that is a gadget for the car, all right, that's like between $10 and $15, thing you stick in your radio and it somehow holds your phone or, you know, plays music or holds a pad or, you know what I'm talking about. We all have these things. Um, now, ideally, a re-gift should only happen 
right, when a person doesn't have the resources to give a present of one's own. And that's what happens with the gift of trust. It is not a resource we can produce on our own. It's a re-gift. It's been given to us, and we give it back. And Mary sings just that, that it's not a resource she can produce on her own with respect to grace. Listen to this, verse 52 through 53. Listen to what she says. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and has sent the rich away empty. She goes on about this. Put in positions of importance or trust, sorry, importance or impact are those who had no reputation or resources to lobby for power. He has given food to those who neither had the right kind of jobs or the resources to pay for food. The idea here is God has given something to people who didn't have the resources to get it on their own. And that's just what God does. That's what he's done through Jesus. That's what he does through trust. Again, Ephesians 2, 8-9. through 9, It's by grace you're saved through faith. This is not from yourselves. It is what? It's a gift from God. So, you don't have that gift. You have to actually receive, have this gift before you can give it back. We don't have the resources to just trust on our own. And we know this from our lives, right? We can't produce trust on our own. I mean, the very definition of trust is one in which requires something on the other's part. Right? It's like the one thing we can't do on our own. It requires someone or something else to act so that we can trust it. And it's made doubly difficult because our lives are ransacked with mistrust. Because people disappoint us. Things let us down all the time. We live in a world that's deteriorating. In fact, I'm, I'm convinced that nearly all my rebellion, all my sin in my life, springs specifically from mistrust. Years ago in college, a pastor, my pastor recommended going through the Ten Commandments of the Bible, reading through them, and I realized that most of my sin came from mistrust. For instance, putting other things before God demonstrated that I trust other things to satisfy me before Him. Uh, do not steal. I used my uh, parents' credit cards for a couple purchases in college, hoping they wouldn't notice. Why do I do such a thing? Because I don't trust God to provide. I bore false witness. I had written down, this was years ago, how I exaggerated a couple of accomplishments to some friends because I didn't trust them to accept me as enough. Right? I exaggerated a little about myself. You see this? So much of our lives, our problems, springs from this mistrust. We can't produce trust on our own. So if you can't get it, if you can't manufacture it, if you can't earn it, how then do you obtain it? The Bible gives us a hint. Romans 10.17, the Apostle Paul says this. So faith comes from hearing. So trust comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. And the Word of Christ is used in a number of different ways in the New Testament. Here it's most likely meaning the good news that Jesus has come and died for sin and through faith, through trusting Him, 
can know God forever. All right, so trust comes from hearing. So putting yourself in positions to read the gospel and specifically hear the gospel, hear the good news again and again. We think we've heard it. We think we know it. And yet it is not really in most of our lives as we try to earn God's love, as we are constantly shamed, as we're constantly trying to add something to trust to be accepted by God. Why is that? How can we change that? Through hearing and listening and drinking in the good news again and again. So if you're here this morning and you know you're helpless, you know you don't have the resources, I have no reservations of saying God is starting to offer you, even work in you trust. He's presenting this to you. It's a miracle you're here this morning. Look, if you're new with us this morning, we, we have a great website. Beyond that, we have no advertising. We don't, I mean, I have a dinky little sandwich board sign on the side of a road. I mean, it's a miracle this church, frankly, has survived. All right? You're here for a reason. I believe God is already starting to work that in you, or at least present it to you. Listen and seek Him. Spend time this Christmas hearing the Gospel, reading the Gospel of John, for instance. same grandfather who put switches in my dad's stocking was also the object of my childhood adoration. I loved my grandfather. and He died just a couple years ago. And he was an interesting man, a tremendous athlete. He set records for running the 100 meters in Wisconsin, state of Wisconsin. He ran track alongside Jesse Owens, you may know. Um, he played for the uh, sports team in the National Football League called the uh, Green Bay Packers. He was also tremendously stubborn. He even told me once a story of walking out on his college football team when having done one less than required amount of push-ups, the coach demanded he do one more. And so he refused. He wouldn't do it. He walked out. One more. He just did things his way. And unfortunately, this is true also of his relationship with God. His was one of mental assent. He would affirm, you asked him his belief that Jesus died and rose from the dead, when it was clear from those who knew and loved him that he wouldn't, just would not trust his life to Jesus Christ. And certainly while God only knows those final thoughts and decisions, there was a reason why my father was sharing with him of the need to trust Jesus my grandfather's final hours. And friends, I certainly do not wish the same ending for any of you. Doing the Christianity God thing my way when the Bible is clear that God asks us to trust Jesus with our lives, our heart, soul, mind, and strength. You're trusting a person. My wife Katie, her grandmother suddenly died early this Wednesday morning and she was 75 years old and uh, she and, and Katie's grandfather had been a rock of faith in Katie's life especially for her and her sisters when her parents had separated and eventually got divorced her grandparents responded by moving next door buying the house moving next door when the family moved up to work at this Christian summer camp uh, up, up north in the States, uh, the grandparents moved with them. 
And that's how I got to know them as I worked summers at the same camp. And I was heading up the discipleship program at this camp, and I remember one time I was visibly frustrated by, you know, working with people. All right? So, and, and I remember her seeing this, and I just remember her saying, I just remember the only ingredient people need to grow is trust. God will use trust. By the way, it's the same ingredient you need as well. It's very gentle. And that stuck with me the rest of the summer. She's right. The only thing needed is trust. And I was deliberating this week which family, as my wife and, and, and kids are up there in, in the States right now, the funeral was yesterday. I was deliberating which family I needed to stay with this week, my, you know, church family or blood family. I, I called up my father-in-law and I said to him, Pops, you know, if you ultimately think I need to be there, I will find a way to make it happen. Really well, we'll make this happen. He just asked me, he said, what are you preaching on? I said, well, I'm going to talk about the only thing that makes us right with God on Christmas is trust. The only thing needed is trust. And he said, you stay. He said, Grandma would have wanted you to preach that sermon. She would have wanted you to preach that. And now she can listen in and hear it for herself. Friends, I hope you hear it too. Don't trust your salvation to procedures, to any other shadows of the real thing when you can have the God-man Jesus Christ this Christmas. And the only thing needed is trust. Let's pray. Father, a number of us come from different backgrounds, different life situations. Father, I pray for those who've had the wrong idea of Christianity. Father, that it's belief in God, trust in Jesus, plus something else. Plus something else. Plus something else. Father, I pray that we would trust only a person. And the same for those of us who maybe have sort of called ourselves Christian or, or, or we prayed a prayer when we were younger. But maybe if we're honest with ourselves, really honest, we've never really started trusting is Jesus. Father, I pray that you would work that trust in us. Help us begin by hearing your word, hearing the good news that while we were still enemies, Christ died for us. In Jesus' name we pray this. Amen.